We're so glad that you've tuned in to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Kendall Kearns, and I'm the student worship leader. We're now in the fifth week of our current series, Masterclass. The fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark shows Jesus restoring lives in amazing ways. Jesus displayed his power to cast out demons, heal the sick, and even revive the dead. Let's dive into scripture to experience these awesome moments, which reveal the power and glory of Jesus. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning again. Uh, Super excited to be able to open up God's word with you this morning. We're in Mark chapter five. We've been in a series over the past five weeks. It's gonna run throughout the summer for 16 weeks through the book of Mark. And we're just chapter by chapter kind of studying the life and the teachings of Jesus and just understanding what life is supposed to look like and the way that God designed it and uh, learning from the master. That's why we've called it master class. And uh, chapter five is full and we're actually gonna kind of back up and go chapter four as well, just the, the last part of chapter four. So this is super full. So this morning I don't have like some quippy, funny story to kind of draw you in and like put you on the edge of your seat. We really just have to dive in. So hopefully the timer doesn't run out on me in the back and I don't get ejected off the stage. That's kind of the whole thing. So we're just going to dive right in. If you'll, if you will join me in praying uh, and asking God just to bless our time together and just to open our eyes and ears to his word, and then we'll dive right in. Uh, Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, and we pray that God, you would settle our hearts as we've sung songs that remind us that, that our sin and that death is gone because of you, that, we, that you are holy, that our testimony is that you have changed us from dead to alive and that you're not done because we're still breathing, Lord. We celebrate all those things. But God, right now, as we open up your word, I pray that you would settle our hearts. Let our ears hear what your word says. Let our eyes see the beauty that's in your word. And Father, may we leave here transformed, not just excited, but transformed by your gospel. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen, amen. There's three really main things that I think that are in this passage. If you have your worship guide, these are the kind of the first things that you'll see right there, kind of main ideas uh, from Mark chapter four, verses 31 or 35 through uh, Mark chapter five, verse 43. And if you're filling these in, this this is what kind of is gonna guide some of our conversation today. And we'll come back to it as we end that Jesus's presence is not a promise that we won't face problems. Jesus' presence is not a promise that we won't face problems. And we're going to see that throughout this passage. And the second one is this, that there's no place, no person, no problem that Jesus' power and rule does not completely cover. So you see that as a guiding principle, a guiding theme throughout this passage and, and the end of chapter four through chapter five. And then this last one, that moments of desperation can lead us to darkness or to dependence. We see that again throughout this passage, that moments of desperation in all of these individuals, they led them, it it eventually moved them towards dependence rather than darkness. And this morning, again, we're gonna kind of jump back to chapter four, and that's where we're gonna begin to kind of look at how these kind of three main points kind of fall out in these passages uh, and and all of these, in in these three or four different stories that we'll see here. And so beginning in Mark chapter four, verse 35, the first of those, and you can fill this in there, is that Jesus' presence calms life's storms. It's not a problem, but we won't face problems, but Jesus' presence brings calm to life's storm. And we'll begin in verse 
35 where it says this, chapter four, it says, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. That's something you wanna stick right there, verse 35, the end of verse 35, hold on to that. 36, it says this, leaving the crowd behind, they took, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was, there was also another boat with them. A furious squall came up. We talked about this last week. And waves broke over the boat, and so it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. And the winds died down, and there was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you not... Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, asking each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? We're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on this passage, this part of the passage, but it's part of these, this succession of stories that I think is important for us to grab as we look at this, as we kind of understand this theme here. And, and the reality, and we talked about this a little bit last night, or last week, as Pastor Jeff brought this chapter four to, to light, that these men, multiple of these guys who are in the boat with Jesus, these disciples of Jesus, they're fishermen by trade, like that's their job. They've been on deadliest catch. We watch it, they've been on it, right? They know what it's like. And so it should not have terrified them to go through a storm. So obviously the storm has got to be something of a, of, of a big storm, right? But they've seen the storms before. And not only have they seen storms before, but in the midst of seeing storms, they've also seen Jesus do incredible things, right? To this point in, in, in Jesus's ministry, these disciples, maybe not all of them, but most of them have seen Jesus perform at least 10 miracles that they were astounded by. People have already been astounded, been, been overwhelmed by who Jesus is and what he's done. And so these men have seen Jesus do things as they're in that boat on a, on a, in a storm that they've been in before. And they also had heard Jesus say some very specific words. Verse 35, remember I said, hold on to that. What did Jesus say? He said, let us go to the other side. I don't know if I spent a whole lot of time on this, but I think that this is really important for us to grab. Is that sometimes we need to hear what Jesus says and hold on to it. He already told them where they were going. They were nervous about drowning, but he had already told them where they were going. And his word is just as sure as anything that we can ever hold on to. And so these men who had been through storms before, who had seen Jesus do incredible miracles, they, got to, they, they needed to hear Jesus say what he said. And hold on to it. And lastly, in the moment, they get to see Jesus and his power over nature and the winds and the waves. The question for us this morning is maybe we just need to be reminded of what Jesus has done, of what Jesus has said, the simple words of truth and the power that, his, that has no bounds. So we kind of think about what happens with these men. Hold on to this one passage that, that his that Jesus' presence brought calm into this storm, that his words and what they, what they already had known maybe can bring some calm to our storm to be reminded of what we've seen him do, what we've heard him say, and the power that he has even over the winds and the waves. Now, we haven't gone through chapter five yet, so this is all new material for us, so we'll, kind of die, we'll really kind of hone in here, but the subject that we're gonna face in the next 20 verses and yes, I'm going to undertake reading 20 verses. Some of you who know me know that this is going to be a stretch, but we're gonna do it. Y'all can start praying for me now. That's great. 
Because this is legit, reading out loud is legitimately, like it's reading out loud and then roller coasters. Those are the two things that are my biggest fears. So here we go. Verse one, it says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs and met him. And the man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, for they had often chained him hand and foot and he had tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, do not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding in a nearby hillside and the demons begged Jesus, this is just such an incredible interaction. Send us to the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and they drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town in the countryside. Can you imagine? I mean, like tornado, like think about like tornado coverage, right? These guys just saw pigs run off a cliff. They're running back into town. Like they run back into town. Like, You'll never believe. And when they came to see Jesus, he, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. No kidding. Those who had seen it told the people what happened in the demon, to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. And, when the people begin to, and then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And Jesus, getting in the boat, said to the man who had been demon-possessed, excuse me, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. If you're filling out notes, Jesus' presence brings peace into life's chaos. In this passage, really in verse 20, literally I've preached sermons that have gone two weeks on just this passage, so we're not gonna do that today. But this is a subject that really we don't have a whole lot of background with. We don't have a whole lot to kind of hold on to. But, but some of the things that are happening, and I kind of want to open up a little bit about what's, what happens here. But, but the reality that Jesus leaves the one side of the Sea of Galilee where things are going pretty well, right? We, we know because we've just read that, that crowds had pressed in on him there. There was people following him. And in all circumstances, all most people would have said, you're crushing it here. Don't leave. But Jesus doesn't do things the way that we do them. He gets in the boat and he goes to another side of the lake or the other side of the Sea of Galilee where really nobody knows him and they don't even care. Right? This goes to a, the, the, the Gentiles and to this Hellenistic culture where they, where they really kind of are, are value education and think that they can figure it all out by their education and science and those kind of things. Kind of sounds familiar to where we live, but they don't, they don't really care about Jesus. But he didn't go over there for, on accident. He didn't, know, he didn't act like, he didn't think maybe this is the next space. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's going over there to show his power 
over all aspects of life, over the spirit world and, and demons and devils. So Jesus, on one side of the, the, the lake gets, or one side of the Sea of Galilee gets, gets in trouble for hanging out with the outsiders, those who, who, don't, who are not clean or whatever and, and don't follow the rules. And now on this side, he's going over to hang out with the Gentiles who would have been the outsiders of outsiders. And so Jesus is just doing all the things that in our world would have said, hey, don't do those things. You're gonna ruin your brand, Jesus. But he does it. He goes and hangs out. And as soon as he lands on the other side of the lake, this man who's demon-possessed comes out. And, and, and again, we don't have a whole lot of, like I, most of us don't have a whole lot of background in, in, in the demonic or, or kind of this, this world. And, and sometimes we just pretend like it doesn't happen. We, we act like it doesn't exist or we don't want to think about it or we become overly fascinated with it, right? And, and it, it walks us down a wormhole that we really don't want to go into. C.S. Lewis says this in, in his work, the, the Screwtape Letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or demons. One is to dis- disbelieve their existence, disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The devils themselves or demons themselves are equally pleased by both errors. They hail the, the materialist, the one who doesn't believe, or the magician, the one who does believe and is excessive in their belief in the same delight. So there's, there's these two opposite ends of the spectrum, those who act like it doesn't happen and those who, who are, excess, or are obsessed by it. And, and it doesn't really matter whichever end of the spectrum, the, the spirit world, demons and the, and the devil, he likes both. But really what we need to have is kind of an understanding of what's actually happening here. And so I, I'm going to take from uh, some words of, of Pastor Tim Keller and add to it a little bit. Pastor Tim Keller says that we need to understand that it's real and that it's rare. And I want to add to that that it's also destructive and that it's defeated. And through those four, I kind of want to break apart what's happening here and, and kind of give us just a little bit of understanding of what's going on. And it, the reality is that it's real. It's real, and, and the reason why we know that it's real is because we just read 20 verses where Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has an interaction with a man who is possessed by what is, what is described as a legion, thousands. A legion in the Roman army would be 6,000 soldiers. So Jesus has, a, has an interaction with a man who's possessed by demons and spiritual forces. And, 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 and if I'm going to say that it doesn't exist, then if I'm gonna act like it's not real, then what I'm saying is that Jesus is a liar. And I'm not ready to call Jesus a liar because I don't understand a whole lot about what's going on here. Second thing is that it's, that it's rare. Throughout scripture and in, in, the, in the gospels, there's just a handful. It's not, it's not crawling all over every page as you read the gospels, but throughout, throughout the gospels, there's a handful of times where you see Jesus interact with moments like this, right? So we know that it's real, but it's also rare. It's not every page in scripture. That even in, as you go past Jesus's interaction in these moments where he's in the gospels, there's not a whole lot of it in the, the rest of scripture and the rest of the New Testament. There's a couple places, but it's not crawling with it. So it's real but it's rare and so we need to hold on to that just as important as we understand one we need to understand the other it's also destructive 1 Peter 5 8 says this it says be alert and sober minded your enemy the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour John chapter 10 it says the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy I Jesus says have come that you may have life and have it to the full 
The reality is that we do have, it's real, it's rare, and it's destructive. He seeks, he's prowling, prowl, prowling like a roaring lion, seeking to devour, to destroy. And that's what he's done to this man in this passage. He's destroyed his life. His life is completely out of control. He's wrecked his life. He's an outcast among society. He's sent to live among the dead. If that's not enough, right? When you, when you, show, up on the, when you show up in the graveyard and there's a dude living there, you're like, something's wrong with you. You didn't end up here because you were like, oh, I really like living around dead people. His life has been destroyed. It's destructive, and that's the desire of the evil one is to destroy life, to tear apart our life. And for the most part, many of us are never gonna experience what this man experienced, but I can tell you that the, that the enemy desires to do the th- same thing in our lives, to destroy your marriage, your relationships, your career, your, all of the things, the things that bring us joy. He, destroy, he desires to destroy our lives in the same way that he does this man. But lastly, we know that it's defeated. That Christ stepped onto the shore into that man's life to proclaim for him and to display for us his authority over every power, principality, and evil. That if we should have any question on the one end, we find out as he's with the disciples that he has power over nature. Here he's expressing and displaying that power over every, every part of darkness. And to free this man from that darkness and to bring him peace into that chaos. And Christ had to do this. Christ had to do this because in order for him to be Christ, the son of God, he had to have power over Satan and the demons. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, that this is the reason, this, this reason, for this reason, the son of God appeared was to destroy the devils and his work. The demons, the devils, his, his darkness and his work and to destroy in this passage in in 1 John means to roll it back, to, to bring it, to obliterate it, to take it down, to make it as if it wasn't there. It's what happens on most Sundays, not this one, haha, I'm gonna tell you that in a second. On most Sundays when we're in here, right? We roll it back. We take all of this down so it looks like we were never here. And that's what Jesus showed up on this place. He showed up in this world to do, to roll back all of the things, to obliterate, to make what was, what was old, new, to, to make it as if it had never happened. He shows up in this man's life and breathes peace into that chaos. And he does the same for you and I. The one who wants to destroy, he rolls it back. All the impact, all of the, 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 the effects of our sin, he rolls that back. And makes us new. And then getting in the boat, the man asked to go with him, and Jesus says no. And you're kind of like, wait a minute, dude. Like, he wants to go with you. Like, you just made this dude's life totally new, and he wants to go with you. Why won't you let him go? Because Jesus had a different plan, and he couldn't do what Jesus' plan was for him by getting in that boat. He had to go back to the place where he had come, to the people that, he, that knew him, And he had to proclaim what Christ had done for him. You know what he doesn't do before he sends him back to the Decapolis? This this legitimately right here in this part, this is legitimately the first Gentile missionary that is ever sent out by Jesus. 
He goes from there. He's a Gentile. He goes to the Gentiles. Legitimately, Paul, we know, goes and preaches the gospel to the Gentiles later. But this man that lived among the dead people was the first one to go proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles as a missionary. But what he doesn't do first, he's like, hey, I need you to spend a couple years in Bible college. I need you to do this evangelism course. Hey, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about local missions? Are you into that? No, he just says, hey, go back. Tell them what Christ has done for you, that he's been merciful to you, that you were dead and now you're alive. I mean, we just sang this song, right? What is your testimony? That, that he's made those who are dead alive and the same thing, he sends them back with this very simple truth that I once was, but I now am. Among the people that would know him the best. What about you? What about your friends and your family? What about your neighbors? You don't have to go through a class. Really what he's telling you, what he's calling us to do is to step back into lives of people that we know and say, this is what, where I was and this is where I am. This is what Christ has done for me. We gotta move on. The next, next we, meet, we meet two different individuals we're going to focus on the, the lady first, but we're going to read through the uh, first couple of verses of this. And, and, and what we're going to see here is that Jesus' presence brings relief to life's pain. Starting in verse 21, it says that Jesus had again crossed over. He's back on the, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, and a large crowd gathered around him when he was by the lake. And when one of the synagogue leaders, a man named Jairus, came out and he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed in. Before we get to the lady, I wanna, I wanna put a pen right here. And, and Jairus is a, is, is a leader in the synagogue, right? It's interesting, this, this dichotomy of what happens. One, there, he lands on the other side of the lake and a man full of demons living in a graveyard comes out and falls at his feet. And then he lands on the other side of the lake back where he was to begin with. And a man who's a leader in the church comes and falls at Jesus's feet. And it's interesting what, what about this man, Jairus, and we don't know this specifically, but we do know that him being a leader in the synagogue and especially the place where he was already in, this is the same leaders in the synagogue who with the Pharisees had just a couple of chapters before had been plotting to kill Jesus. And now he's at Jesus' feet pleading that he would come with him. It's pretty interesting how both of these men end up in the same place when they're desperate. Verse 25 We'll get back to Jairus in just a second. We will need to meet this lady in verse 25. It says, now a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, had grown worse. Verse 27, when she had heard about Jesus, she came behind him and in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately, immediately after touching his cloak, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. Can you imagine what that moment was like for her? And at once, Jesus realized that his power had gone from him. And so he turned around, around in the crowd and he asked him, who touched, he asked the people there, who touched my clothes? And the disciples responded, you see all the people crowding around you? The disciples answered, 
And yet you ask, who touched me? I love this. Jesus doesn't even respond to them. You know this? Like he completely ignores them. It's incredible. Verse 20, verse 32, he says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling in fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. For 12 years, 12 years, she's been living with this condition, trying to find out what's happening and not having any relief. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to to have a long illness and maybe even know what it is and know how, how to go about treating it, but having a long illness and you've suffered through that. I know in just a minute amount what this is like because you know about 12 weeks ago some of you know I had a small surgery it was a small surgery and recovery was not been great right 12 weeks and so that recovery really has meant that I've had a little tummy ache and in classical male fashion it has completely incapacitated me and I can't do anything I know dudes you're like don't do that to us like it happens we know it right we're tough-ish tough-ish so I had this little surgery and in and, and that fashion, right? I've, I've, for 12 weeks, I've, I've just had some issues and it's not been great. Now, the great part is I lost 42 pounds at this point. I, that was accidental, but hopefully intentionally I can keep that off. I know I look good, right? <laughs> I don't even wear black every week anymore. It's, it's pretty, stop, I don't have time. We don't have time for this. But 12 weeks of a bellyache is really nothing compared to 12 weeks of this condition that this woman has. And it's not just the pain of the the physical condition that she walks through. It's the pain, the emotional pain, that the reality that this woman for 12 years has been in a state of perpetual ritual impurities. According to the religious, according to the Levitical law, this woman for 12 years has been an outcast in society. Every time she walks into a building, she has to announce to everybody who's there, think about how humiliating this is, that she is unclean, don't come near her. 12 years, somebody would have to themselves become unclean to wrap their arms around her and comfort her. Can you imagine how many people have loved on her in the past 12 years? Probably very few. But here, in this moment, two things happen. Exhausted, she is exhausted and having exhausted all of her options, she's only gotten worse. I mean, think about this. this. This is not the point of this story, but I think we need to hold on to it. The reality is that so many of us, this profound truth for us, that so many of us have gone and exhausted all of our resources trying to find success, trying to find hope, trying to find whatever in the world and looking for it in people and other places. And we've found over and over again that it never satisfies. And instead of getting better, we just continue to get worse. It's the same place she finds herself. The second thing that I think is really important is that reaching out in this moment, she makes a life-changing declaration. She had heard about Jesus, but she is a daughter of Israel. She's a Jewish woman. And for 12 years, she's toiled and toiled with no relief. But in this moment, quietly yet boldly, 
she declares her faith in this Jesus, in this doctor, one last hope. But not only that, because she's heard about him in her declaration, she reaches out and touches the hem of his cloak. And in that moment, she's saying, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Lord who has come to free those who are in darkness. And in an instant, she was healed. And again, can you imagine the surge of joy that would come over her in that moment that would overcome her? Because now she's, she's 12 years of, of suffering has been gone. And then in another instant, as Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Can you imagine that surge shrinking back in in the terror? Because in touching his robe, she had then made him unclean. And this is, not a part of the, this is not a part of what I was gonna say, but think about this. Think about how beautiful this is because that's exactly what he does. He became sin so that we who were sin could become the righteousness of Christ. That he didn't turn around to chastise her, but to welcome her because he had taken her, her disease. He had taken that uncleanliness and taken it upon himself, just like he takes on yours and mine and instead gives us righteousness and gives us healing. He declares that thousandfold, the joy that surges over her as he welcomes her not chastising her, but says your joy, your joy, your healing is not just physical, but it's complete. She put her faith in him. Now we get back to Jairus. Verse 35, if you're writing notes, it says this, that he brings, Jesus' presence brings hope into our tragedies. It says, while Jesus was speaking, some people came up, so he's paused to interact with this woman. And while he's speaking to her, some people come up from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they say to him, your daughter is dead. I said, why not, don't bother the teacher anymore. In verse 36, and overhearing what they said, Jesus looked at him and said, don't be afraid, just believe. Some of you need to hear that this morning. There's been interruptions to what you thought things were gonna look like. And you're questioning everything because I'm sure that's what Jarius is doing right here. And you just need to hear him say, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37. <clears throat> he didn't let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the son of James, or the brother of James. And he came to the house, the synagogue leader, the Jew. Jesus saw the commotion. The people were crying. They were wailing loudly. Back then they would hire people to come and they were hired mourners so that you would wail. It was I don't understand that, but that happened. And he went in and he said to them, why is all this commotion and wailing? And the child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. And again, just like the disciples, he didn't pay attention to them, but watch what Jesus does. After he put them out, which is awesome, right? He took the child's father and his mother and the disciples who were there with him. And they went where the child was and he took her by the hand and he said to her some words that I can't know. Little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and she began to walk around and she was 12 years old. Think about that day that that woman walked into the doctor for the first time, 
12 years ago and how this mother who's standing there watching her daughter walk around could potentially have been in the same place having that child that day. And this woman who was just healed for 12 years has suffered and this child who was dead has now been brought back to life. I mean, that's pretty incredible just to think about why he continues to tell us these 12, 12, 12. At this, they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and he told them to give her something to eat. A couple of things from this. Jesus is who we can depend on when we're desperate. The reality that nothing moves someone to desperation, from desperation to dependence, quite like when your child gets sick. Legitimately, this man could have been huddled up with some other guys just a couple of days before with some other dudes trying to figure out how they were gonna take this man's life. And all of a sudden his daughter's sick and on her deathbed and everything changes. And some of you have been in that moment in that desperation where maybe it wasn't your kid, maybe it was a friend, or maybe it was yourself. And that desperation has moved you towards dependence rather than darkness, moved you towards dependence in Christ because he moved from plotting with the Pharisees to falling at Jesus's feet. The second thing that Jesus has no patience with those who are pessimist. I, again, this is not the point of the story, but he puts them out. It doesn't tell us what it looks like when he puts them out, but he puts them out, right? I think that's one of my favorite things about this story. But some of us need to take this God-ordained confidence and tell similar people in our lives that surround us to get out. People who, don't, who are laughing at us because of our faith, we need to say, hey, you have the privilege of leaving and not continuing to laugh at me about this. Because I believe that God who is, who is here is doing something. And if you're not going to be with me, then don't, don't stay, stick around. And Jesus has his own timeline and his own purpose. This is for the type A's in the room. That Jesus doesn't, Jesus' timeline doesn't really make sense in what happens here. But he doesn't follow our agendas. You think about any doctor, tr truly, any doctor that would have done what Jesus did on the way to an emergency with a child who's on her deathbed to stop and talk to a woman who's been in the, the doctor cycle for the past 12 years, he would have been sued for malpractice immediately. I can't imagine what I, as Jarius, if, if, I, was, if I was this girl's dad, if I was Jarius, what I would have done in this moment. Can you imagine Jesus pausing and having this conversation, looking for somebody who touched his robe in a crowd when your daughter is on her deathbed and you're legitimately his only hope? Y'all would not like me if I described what would actually happen. I don't think you would listen to me anymore. I, I, but I honestly, in that, I, I have questions about why Jesus would have done this. I mean, Jesus obviously knew that he was gonna heal her and he knew that she was gonna die. But, but why? Why did, why did he let her die in this, in this time? Why, why, if, if he knew that he was gonna heal her, why, why not just let her live until he got there and then just heal her from the sickness? And, and, and as I thought about this this week and talked with some of the other pastors and what, what just... I believe is what we need to hold on to is that Jesus' thoughts are not our thoughts. 
Scripture tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. And, and, and I've got to believe that Jesus wasn't just trying to mess with this guy, Jarius, because maybe he was huddled up with these dudes trying to kill him a couple weeks ago. And he's just like, hey, I'll show you. Let me just let you know. It's not what Jesus does. It's not his character. That's not who he is. But what I've got to believe is that Jesus knows exactly what we really need to wake us up to the life-transforming power of the gospel. And it seems like to me that Jesus knows that for Jairus, a recovery wasn't going to make quite the impact that a resurrection was. And that maybe for one of us, maybe for some of us in this room today, that we're, that we're in this place and for some reason, we're asking the question of why doesn't Jesus just fix fill in the blank? And really what it, the answer to that question is that because he knows that just fixing it won't have the same impact as doing whatever he's going to do to, rest, to restore and to resurrect. And maybe he knows that he, he wants to show you something that, that is much more incredible by resurrecting a dream, by resurrecting a relationship, by resurrecting a career or so whatever it is, that so much so that in that resurrection that no one else can compete with the praise with the honor and the glory. That a recovery may not cover it, but a resurrection will get your attention. And so as the band comes back up, I'm gonna just kind of move into just a time of response this morning. What are the moments of desperation that you've faced? Maybe that you're facing. Where are they leading you? Is it, is it leading you towards darkness or is it leading you towards dependence? Moments of desperation like, like these individuals had on a boat where everything seems to be falling apart, where you thought you knew what it looked like to, to walk through waves and wind. What, what, is it leading you towards darkness or towards de to dependence? And that darkness happens when we depend on ourselves. When we look to ourselves and, and to fix the chaos and, and, and the brokenness and maybe even the death that's happened around us. And, and, and what we need to hear is these words from, the Psalm, from, from Proverbs where it says in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Let your desperation lead you to dependence to utter dependence on him. We said it in the beginning, and I want to say it again, that there's no place, there's no person, there's no problem where the power of Jesus and his rule does not completely cover. We've seen it in this span from chapter four, the end of chapter four to the end of chapter five. Nature doesn't, demons and devil doesn't, disease doesn't, death doesn't. There's no place, no person, no power. There's nothing, no problem that doesn't that is not under Jesus' power and rule. And even though his presence doesn't mean that we won't face problems, I believe that every one of us in these stories that we just looked like, that we, we know that this is true, that what we see, that what we see right now is not what actually is or how it will be. His presence doesn't mean that we won't face problems, but, 
But I think we know we need to hear this truth that what we see right now with the Disciples saw as the waves crested over the boat what what the demon-possessed man and those who were around him saw in that moment. What what Jairus saw as his daughter passed away, what this woman had had been living with with 12 years of bleeding, that was happening then is not how it will be. That what it seems like now is not actually how it is or how it will be. That he is the one who has power over all of those things all of those problems. And we need to hear Jesus say the same words that he said to Jairus in that moment of questioning. When truly think about what it would be, you were on the way, Jesus is gonna heal your daughter and everything falls apart because she's dead. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. We're gonna sing a song that just declares that resurrection, declares the reality that, that we don't have to be afraid. We can just believe because even death is defeated. So let's pray and then we'll sing. Jesus, we thank you for today again. We thank you for your word and we thank you, God, that you, that truly there is no person, no place, no power, no problem where you are not completely in control. Where your power is not completely covering every aspect of it. And let us hear and declare, hear your words. Don't be afraid, just believe. And be reminded as we sing that you bring death to life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You've been listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time and God bless.